So Network is amazing. Uh, as you guys know, I'm very active on my LinkedIn profile. And last week, a student by the name of Patrick Coldivar reached out to me through a message on LinkedIn and said, hey, Manny, I have some homework and I need some help. And so I asked if he would be willing to record it so that he can listen to the audio afterwards. And at the same time, I was interested because of his profile and some of the things that uh, seem to be very interesting uh, of what he's done since he was in high school and now as a master's student at the University of California, Merced. And so that's what we're going to hear today, this interview with this student. And then somewhere in the middle, he's going to take uh, harness his inner podcaster and ask me a few questions. Join me for this conversation. Okay, so today I'm sitting here talking with Patrick uh, Caldivar. He's a student at the University of California, uh, Merced. He did reach out to me on LinkedIn. And so I thought that was pretty cool that, hey, when I talk about uh, students and I say, hey, you know, you guys reach out to me. Patrick is one of the very low percentages of people that actually reach out and do that. So, uh, Patrick, welcome. I kind of wanted to start off at first. Kind of, kind of hearing about you. I did look at your um, LinkedIn profile, by the way. Uh, great job using all of the fields and really putting your story out there. So, why don't you tell me about uh, who you are and what you're doing right now? Awesome. Yeah, sure. So, I did my undergrad over at UC Merced, and um, my undergrad was in environmental engineering. And now I'm doing my master's of management uh, in Kansas. It's a year-long program, and it's pretty cool. I like, I like it a lot. And this program is really helping us go like that extra mile to to really discover ourselves and get to know other people too, right? Like working with teams and knowing how to manage teams accordingly. First of all, like in the work. And also the personal life, which relates to work life balance, right? So I feel like I've definitely seen a huge change in my lifestyle. So clear that up for me again. Tell me what is the master's program? And is it and is it under the like is it business or is it under like an extension of the like the environmental engineering department or gotcha. How is that? So um, the master's of management, it's a it's a master's being hosted by the School of Engineering, and to my understanding, it'll soon become um, independent, and it'll be hosted in the future just by the School of Management. The, the UC currently, the university doesn't really have a management, a school management okay. right now, so because they don't have that, the School of Engineering is hosting the master's. Okay. okay, that makes sense. And look, when I was going through some of your experiences here, right now it shows that you and I, you know, I don't know, it looks like it was this year, you were this research assistant with the Alliance for Community Research and Development. And what caught my attention, it looks like you did some work in the mental health space. Can you talk a little bit about what that, what that is and how you came across it and such? I did. Yeah, thanks for asking. So, uh, I got into the, into that. Just because uh, I started working with a supervisor, he's a he's a community research scientist here in my county, and I reached out to him about three years ago because I wanted to know a little bit more about public health. Uh, I met him at a workshop that I was doing when I was uh, a student success intern, right, for another project. I met I met my uh, my new my supervisor that I know that I have now. Worked with him with different projects, and then he just kind of told me one day, like, "Hey, like, um, we have this project going on, and you know, we need help." And I wanted to help, you know, always like helping out. So he told me a little bit more about the project, what I would do, and I go straight into it. So the some of the tasks that I was responsible for was creating a curriculum, basically creating profiles of uh, real life people in the field of mental behavior health, um, basically taking out like their story, their story, right? Mm-hmm. But not putting down their names, you know, just for privacy 
Okay. And, uh, you know, after taking that, those profiles, then I was, uh, me and my co-supervisor, uh, we would print them out and go to workshops. Uh, we'll host workshops over at a different high school. And then just talk to kids, right, about the importance of mental and behavioral health and introduce them to the field of mental and behavioral health. And, you know, that's really cool, right? So you got into a space that, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, in STEM fields, um, professionals and students going out and reaching out for STEM awareness. But this was a completely uh, different uh, topic for sure. Um, did you do you did you find that your you know, the development and the skills you were you were gaining while you were studying environmental engineering? Did that help you any or some of the stuff that you were learning here currently in this master's program? You know, I feel like uh, the technical side of it, I actually do see that just because I like to organize my work um, in a database, right? And on different projects, I, I find myself really working and organizing the database infrastructure. Um, and in doing so, it helps me gain an overview of the project and really know how to time manage so that's the biggest practice that I see. Um, a highlight of the Mexican Health project was doing public speaking, right? Being comfortable speaking for, for about an hour, you know, I mean, because far more younger than me, yeah. Introducing them to something that they're probably not familiar with, right? Um, but with environmental engineering and mental behavioral health, the bridge that I see is you know, environmental engineering links to public health and mental behavioral health is under the public health branch. So overall, we could join a branch, right? And at the end of the day, everything has a connection of some sort, right? Where it's philosophically or uh, uh, connected by, by branches, academic branches. I saw here on your, like when I look at your experiences, you have a uh definitely some experience doing like public service or working along the lines of public service. Another one that caught, caught my eye, and again, I'm going straight from a, like a recruiter perspective. I'm not going to lie when I see something completely different. It is kind of interesting, and I see that you did some work here with the Department of uh, Parks and Recreation, and what caught my attention was that, hey, you, were, you, you had a stint where you were working as the president for the County of Los Angeles Department of Parks and Recreation, under your volunteering, can, can you can you tell me about that experience? Um, back in 2012, uh, I started to explore uh, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship skills, yeah. and working over at the park. I think it was a very was an environment that practiced psychological safety, right? Giving me the opportunity to try things out, uh, fail, and not feel bad about it and then just keep on trying new things, right? And uh, one of the things that started to really, I guess, practice being a president was um, fundraising techniques, like hosting, one of them was actually hosting um, a haunted house, right? And back then, I think I was like a junior, and um, they gave me the ability to practice um, project management and just teaming with people, right? Breaking up like a huge group of like 50 kids um, into having them work into a particular objective that right? just everyone has in mind and having them get together, right? Be, having them become motivated. And I, and I saw that a lot of professionals there saw that too, right? Like, wow, like all these kids have the same drive, doing different things, but you know, the same drive. Some of them would paint, some of them would like do construction, the design. Um, talking to people, the finances, and that encouraged me to, I guess, find other methods of fundraising, right? And the supervisor at the time told me about a grant that uh, they were giving out. I don't know who it was, but the thing that there was, I think it was the, the county was giving out a grant to part or nonprofit, and uh, really inspired me to go over and present the, the nonprofit organization that I was a part of. And just like it's people and investors seeing that it was just kids talking about something great, 
really help them um, be more willing to give off donations, right, to, to our organization. So it was myself and three other uh, three other high school students that I handpicked because I thought they would be like the best fit. Uh, just in the way that they presented themselves, talked, and their perspective of the overall project. Um, so presenting was cool. And after the presentation, my supervisor did um, I think some exchange of emails and whatnot, some some documents, and yeah, we got the twenty two k. No, that's pretty cool. You know, like I can, you got involved in a bunch of stuff very early on. So I'm curious, like, did you? What was it like for you growing up? Did you have other professionals or engineers in your life, or your parents or family members or? What, can, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm always curious, right, of what people's upbringing are, and I like to get people to share that because I think it's uh, relevant to to some, you know, to some experiences or, or or how we get involved in certain things. So, what was that like for you growing up? My uncle, he was a computer science guy uh, over in Mexico, and uh, I never really got a chance to interact with him, but I know he had a background in that. And uh, my other uncle, he had a background in mechanical engineering, but again, I never really got the chance to uh, interact with them. There's, there's plenty of people, I feel like, uh, whether it's uncles or cousins or half-sisters that do something. Like one of my half-brothers does, um, like, uh, what is it called? Architectural design for the city of Pasadena. Okay. Over in South California, and uh, he does that, but I don't really tend to like fully interact with them, right? So I do have people that do kind of cool stuff and have like a profession of some sort, but talking to them, it's probably not like theirs. But because of that, uh, because of that, I feel like in my head, I kind of plan out like. It's a storyboard, right? And I'm thinking in my head, well, I have a little so-and-so that does this and that. But what would we have, what, what is it that they probably did to get where they're at now? Yeah. So then they start, you know, ID, they start kind of thinking of things, so things that they probably did, or they probably should do to continue doing whatever it is that they want to do. So, um, knowing that some of them did, like, professional engineering I'm like well obviously they had to get involved they had to like do go to university and do something some sort of research and then talk to the people and then branch out to I guess uh, I guess different fields and then know there's professional right kind yeah. of the network so you get you got to see you got to see what they were doing and you kind of knew that they were doing something a little different anybody at school or even currently in your, while you were in college that you think that you would contribute was very influential in, in helping guide you through some of this stuff? A lot of my professors were really influential. Uh, I started to go, are you talking about just regular people or professionals? No, just either way, right, I'm just kind of looking to say, you know, like, is there you know, who it, it was it has been involved, either from a mentorship or just a great example or some speaker, just trying to really get to the essence of, of like, where do, has some of your influence come from, you know? Like, for me, and I give people the example, so for me, like, my parents were not professionals, right? My dad drove a cab for a long time. My mom, she was a housewife, and she sometimes worked in hotels. And my immediate family, like, they were just laborers, you know? So for me, my, like, uh, people that I looked up to or people that kind of helped me navigate uh, this uh, potential STEM career when I was in college, uh, it really came at, at that level, right? It was professors and it was some, you know, uh, professionals that I met through organizations that helped me to, to frame that as opposed to some peers who, you know, somebody's dad was an engineer, right? Or somebody's mom was a you know, some network specialist in IT, like I didn't, I didn't have that. So I'm, I was just curious with all the stuff that you've gotten involved in, really trying to say, you know, hey, where did that, where did that motivation come from, you know? Yeah, it started off with like my high school teachers, you know, their support, their moral support, I feel like was like the key to me. 
Friends in high school were encouraging me to, you know, get involved with the community and be, you know, be a part of like something great. And it was the snowball effect, right? Uh, started high school and then college over here at the UC. Um, it was the, the professors who were the inspirational. Um, also, supervisors, I feel, would be a lot. But honestly, I think it starts off with friends. With friends, the circle that I, that I, uh, that I'm a part of. Okay. That has to do a lot because my first job at on campus, I met, I met the supervisor because of one of my friends. I was doing research, I was trying to do research, and then I talked to one of my friends about it, and then he connected me, right? To the person in charge, talked to the person in charge, and then I got a job, and then that supervisor was like a huge influence on my, uh, professional development. And then that's how I met the supervisor that I have now, right? And that's what I, that's kind of how I've been involved with things and trying to things out. Um, another of my friends, a fraternity brother, I told him some of my interests and then he connected me with his uh, research professor and that's kind of how I got involved with like natural research, right? Yeah. And then trying things out from there. So um, those people, I feel like the people, my friends, kind of connect me to the right people that eventually become a great influence for my professional development. Uh, currently, I feel like my supervisor is a great influence for myself, myself and professional development, because I'm in a place where I get to try things out, try new projects out, and uh, not have to fear a failing. Even if I fail, then Oh, well, right? So what? You know, just try something different. Yeah. Try something new. And I, and I like what you said right there early, you know, where you went from, it wasn't just people that were in your school, but then you started to give credit to your immediate peers, right? So there is something to be said around, hey, it's not just some professional or not just some, prof- you know, some professor. Like, there is a lot, a lot of knowledge, right, to be gained from from our immediate friends or people that we're in classes with and so on. So I kind of wanted to segue now, and maybe this is one of the pockets or uh, of your influence or, or some of these peers that you get to work with. I see here you have, uh, you, or you were at one point, sorry, involved uh, with the ship, right? You were an officer in your ship chapter. Can you talk a little bit about ship and what it's done, uh, what you gained out of it and what your thoughts on that are? Right. Oh, those are awesome. Experience because I was able to find like-minded people there that were also uh, first-generation students, um, predominantly I guess from a background that I'm familiar with, right? Uh, also coming from like low-income families and having the same drive as me, right? And wanting to also get involved, um, wanting to fundraise, wanting to develop themselves and develop each other. So. It was also uh, an environment where there was a lot of psychological safety to try things out, right? And then having that sense of comfort with one another, I feel like uh, I feel like I was able to establish good connections with a lot of people too, right? Mm-hmm. In a full in a room full of, uh, of different students, different backgrounds, different connections, and that's key. I feel I feel like that's key because. Um, because my colleagues, my peers, they have a whole source of networks. And now, you know, currently I could, I feel like I feel comfortable enough to reach out to them also and tell them, hey, I have a homework assignment and I want to talk to a professional. Maybe, maybe you know someone that you probably trust a lot. So can you connect me with them, right? Yeah. And then expand my network like that. And, uh, right now what I was doing was just, uh, expanding my own network, but from like my own end, right? Without using ship, but just kind of going on LinkedIn, trying to find someone that probably has met before and connecting with them. It, it like sounds like within ship, right? Like that's where, or at least one of the places where you started to like cut your teeth and started to get comfortable with asking for those, you know, I guess I would call them like favor or, or connections and, and reaching out. And you, I know you mentioned your, uh, fraternities before uh, as well, but those were safe spaces, right? right? Like within your, or you, with your, 
your university or with peers to kind of figure out what that what that felt like in order to uh, carry it over into something outside of this outside of that. So, and look, we're going to switch over to your questions here in a bit, but I just kind of want to ask a little bit. So now that you're doing this this management uh, master's program, and you, you know you have this undergrad in environmental science, but it also there's hints of entrepreneurship in there, like. What do you see yourself doing? What would you like to be doing uh, uh, out once you're comp- done with this school? Uh, what I see myself doing is uh, kind of like what I've done in the past, you know, managing projects, working with people, but also incorporating my background in, a, you know, in engineering, using my background in engineering to work with people and helping manage projects at an administrative level in a decision-making environment where, where I get to, where I get the chance to listen to other engineers, hear their ideas, um, and if it's a compelling idea, then help them also, um, storytell using data, right? Um, because if I could understand the other engineers, but maybe other, um, non-engineers have trouble understanding, well, how can I help the engineers communicate the information? To persuade maybe other decision makers um, on different ideas, on different solutions, and become that mediator, right? And then help the managing project. So ultimately, I feel like that's how what I see myself doing in a broad scheme. And uh, because it's because I'm keeping it abroad and open to ideas and opportunities, I feel like I'm pretty open to you know, working with different entities or companies afterwards, after I graduate. Well, cool. So look, somewhere uh, along the lines, right, uh, you, well, let me, let, I'm trying to switch here, right? So we're going to get into some questions, but I, and I was, and I was reading, and I was reading the note that you sent me on Friday. Uh, so first, like, and one thing that I also wanted to come out in this conversation and to push on folks is that, hey, this networking, networking thing works, right? And there are a couple of things that, you know, people will get online and they watch the videos on, you know, how to how to maximize LinkedIn or how to maximize social media or how to, you know, uh, manage uh, meeting with recruiters or with professionals. And, and you get all kinds of tips and, and, and a lot of people see them, but very few people take action in them. Patrick, you're an example of someone who took action on it. And what I kind of wanted to share here was just uh, how how this transpired. Right. So Patrick and I. Uh, we met uh, here on LinkedIn. He, he, uh, and I'll ask you here in a second about, you know, how you, how you came to my name. But very simply on Friday, I get this note. And look, I've told people, hey, I'm active on social media. Uh, I check it regularly and, and so on. And so I get this note from Patrick says, hi, Manny. I hope you're having a good week. I'm a student over at UC Merced. I was also present at the 16, 18, 19 Ship National Conference. So right out the gate. You know, he's making connections. He probably looked at my profile. He's probably heard me say the word ship a million times in my ass. And so he started to hook me, right? And I'm not saying that there's any deceit here, but I'm just thinking there's a, there's a method to how you write some of these notes to get somebody interested, right? And then he proceeds to just say, Hey, I have an assignment for a class where I'm supposed to interview a professional for about 10, 15 minutes. Jokes on Patrick. I'm stealing about an hour of his time, but, <laughs> but still he also made, he also said, hey, it's going to be short, and he's got to ask you about my career roles, and he asked to be your interview. And I'm like, sure, not a problem. And then, you know, so Patrick, I, 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 I'm going to pause there, but I kind of want to hear from you. How did you get to, 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 to this point where you reached out to me? I'm glad. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so we'll start with your LinkedIn, right? I'm looking at the LinkedIn. And so I see that you're part of ExxonMobil, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, professional is part of ExxonMobil. And it looks like we have one connection, right? Right? With uh, Karina. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. And I'm like, okay, well, have I had an interaction with ExxonMobil in the past? And I'm like, you know what? I think I have, right? At, at a conference. I'm like, okay, how is that? And I'm like, okay. Um, I remember at the time they were looking at stu- they were looking for students with a high GPA. And I was like, okay, but the objective here is not to uh, get a job, right? To, to talk to another human being and get to know them a little bit more. So I'm like, okay, so keeping that in mind, 
and keeping my, my objective in mind, then, then I don't see why, why I shouldn't reach out to, to Manny, right? And I mean, how I saw it, I'm like, right now making a reference to your leap, and I'm like, well, this person clearly has years of experience, so I'm sure this person will have something great to talk about over, over like a decade's worth of experience. You know, you made a really good point of, of making, making the, making the statement that, hey, I was a part of like the National Congress of, of these new states, and I want to keep the conversation short, and 15 minutes because in the audience's perception, you know, it, they think that it'll be something kind of short. Why not? Um, why not help students that have an assignment, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, but why not? Why not do it? Why not help Patrick? So that's kind of like the, the hook, right? To join um, people, but also like the opportunity for our recruiters like yourself to also I get the opportunity and talk to um, also the minorities, right? Yeah. Like like myself, first generation. So <clears throat> now with the masters, I was like, you know what? Well, now I have a, a lot better GPA. So even if there was an opportunity, you know, to work with a couple in the future, well, it's there already, right? Because I work on my GPA. Yeah. So it was like a, a double. And so look, and that's the thing, right? I mean, these interactions, I mean, there's a lot going on at one time. And of course, when a student reaches out and they, you know, I know that I put it out there on, on the podcast and on social media and, and I go to ship, like people know I'm a, I'm a recruiter. So every time I get a communication, I get that there's going to be some element of that. But again, I'm human and you're right. Sometimes it's nice just to get the, Hey, I have no ulterior motive other than just to interview and complete this assignment. Uh, but again, look, I also, of course, as, and on your end, Patrick, right, you're very much, uh, put the time into filling out your profile and having some details in there. Cause you must have known that I was going to go kind of check and see who you were. And, and yes, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. And so, of course, in the back of my head after this, I'm like, oh, he's an environmental engineer. We had new environmental engineers. Has he ever talked to us? Naturally, my, you know, my job or part of my job. You know, the, the thoughts get mixed in. And and at some point, and, and if you haven't guessed this already, outside of this, I'm going to say, hey, Patrick, let me see your resume. So it, it, these connections work, right? I mean, and, and, and not that, and for those of you that know that have been following recruiting season for ExxonMobil, this is about over, but that doesn't mean that there isn't something for next year and so on. He's still in school, even if he was a professional. Some people make moves early on in their in their, in their professional career. So again, it just tends to, where it starts, I think it was very, very, like you said, right? It's a very honest, I just need to finish this uh, this assignment. But the reality is, hey, there's other stuff going on as well. And this is why I think it's super important that, that somebody reaches out. And, and I thank you for, for reaching out. So, look, Patrick reached out. This was on Friday. He hooked me. I think it was a, it was a good... Uh, a, a good topic. And on the flip side too, now I took it and I told Patrick, Hey, Patrick, you mind if I record this? I think, uh, you know, I, I've talked a little bit about myself here and there in, in a podcast or, or in uh, some panel discussions, but he had some basic questions. I said, look, it'd be good to kind of just hear it. Somebody else asked, maybe there's some follow-ups that that person might have and maybe catch it, catch a recording. And then I'll flip it to Patrick so he can look at it or hear it again for his assignment and then I can use it for on my end for some of the content. So here we are. He agreed, and he's taken a, a cold stab at, at getting interviewed by me. And here for the next half, we're going to go ahead, and he's going to be the interviewer and kind of uh, ask me some of these questions. And, and, and hopefully, Patrick, you maybe you start off by talking about this assignment and the class and what you guys are trying to accomplish. So we'll flip it over to you. Yeah, no problem. So this is a... This assignment is part of my uh, global strategies course, and for this course, it's uh, it's all about understanding uh, the market and professional development, right? So I like how you brought up LinkedIn. You brought it up a few times. Um, for this course, one of the one of the things that we also look at is is that right, our LinkedIn, um, getting our our resume in shape, um, putting that over our LinkedIn making it presentable and uh, 
are now branching off to to the society, right? Making connections. And to do that, uh, they give it the assignment. Like, okay, go talk to a professional and ask them, you know, just set of questions, talk to them, and get to know them, right? But it's up to us to come up with the questions, ultimately, right? Ultimately, it's our, it's my responsibility to create questions and reach out to them. So, that kind of leads that look for creativity, right? It's like, now I have the tools, uh, my LinkedIn, my resume, my experiences, I have the tools, so now I get to be creative on how I choose to approach uh, recruiters, professionals, anyone out there, and how, you know, who and how is, is the most important thing. So, uh, one, of my, one of my strategies was using LinkedIn, right? Reaching out to, to folks on LinkedIn, including yourself. And asking you the, the recent question of, you know, hey, you know, I have an assignment to do, and I want to just kind of ask you to turn off my questions and see where it goes, you know, see where it goes from there on. Because uh, it's just, I feel like, the beginning of a, of a connection. Awesome. Getting to know, getting to know the individual friend and see, see what those opportunities come about. All right, Patrick, so this here, go ahead. Look, this is, a, I want you to, 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 to reach in to your inner podcaster and let's ask some of these questions. <laughs> the first question is, well, what do your job duties entail? So listen, I, always, I, I tell you what my current role is. So my role is I am the North America's Olympics optimizer. By itself, it means absolutely, it didn't mean anything to me when I got it. Are you at all familiar with... Uh, with the oil and gas refineries and chemical plants, do you have any any prior knowledge? No. No? Okay, that's fair. Look, most people, they don't. They drive by these giant plants. You, know, you drive by an ExxonMobil plant and you say, well, they make gasoline. Everybody knows what gasoline is. But inside these plants, we make all kinds of stuff. And specifically, I work for the, the chemical company. And in a chemical plant, uh, we take some uh, feedstocks or ingredients from from a refinery or from other places and we turn it into derivatives. We turn it into glues, to plastics, to, you know, some, some alcohols uh, or just additives that, that go into paints and to all kinds of stuff that we use, okay? And so my job currently is to work with all of our chemical plants in North America. So we have some in Texas, Beaumont, Baytown, and in Baton Rouge, and I work with those site economists to uh, make sure that the ingredients that we're using are the most uh, competitive, right, price that has something to do with it, that they're the cheapest, and that we can still meet our quality specifications. So I tell people, imagine a chemical plant, you know, or, you know, is, a, is an oven, and in this oven, we can bake cookies, and I can make chocolate chip cookies, and I can... You know, I'm going to need flour and sugar and chocolate chips and milk and butter. and But all of those ingredients might come from different manufacturers, depending on what's happening in the market, right? In the world, they might have different prices. And quite frankly, I, you know, I, I can pick and, and keep track of what's happening in the market with the help of a bunch of smart people, by the way, and ultimately decide, hey, these are the most economical most competitively advantaged ingredients that we should use in order to produce our products, right? Or in my analogy, these, these cookies. Right, yeah, I got you. So, there, so it's, uh, it's definitely a whole bunch of business at this point, uh, although I still kind of rely on my engineering problem-solving ability to, to make sense of some of this stuff. For our second question, our second question, Manny, is why did you choose to work in the field? So I, I guess if I'm being completely honest, when I went to college, right, uh, and, and I went and said, hey, I want to be a mechanical engineer, uh, my thought process was not, hey, I'm going to go be this, you know, Olefins optimizer at ExxonMobil. That's not why I went to school. Uh, first of all, I, have, I'm a, I was a non-traditional student, so I didn't go to college right out of high school. Uh, right out of high school, I went, I was working. I went to work. And it wasn't until I had family that I decided to go back uh, to school. So fast forward, I'm going to college and I see this uh, department fair from, uh, from, the, from the San Antonio Community College. And one of the departments that was there was the engineering department. 
And I remember seeing some, you know, people that were promoting it. And it was actually the members of the Mayas Club uh, that was manning the table for the Department of Engineering. And so I saw some, you know, young Latino people that were talking about engineering. But even then, I still kind of was like, well, what's that about? And they said, well, it's a lot of math. At the time, I was working as a uh, management trainee uh, for Brake Check, which is like a service shop, kind of like a Firestone there in San Antonio. So I was working around mechanics and I learned auto repair. So I see this, you know, and then I see this placard that talks about the starting salaries for engineers. And it was, you know, at the time I was going to school to be a teacher. And in my head, I was going to graduate to be a teacher. I was going to make, you know, $30,000, $40,000 a year. I see this placard for the starting salaries for mechanical, and it said sixty, seventy thousand. dollars 70000 So at the time, because I had family and stuff, part of my motivation was monetary, right? Like I was done being broke. But as I became a student, and even once I started learning about engineering and what they did, like, man, I'm sure a lot of, like a lot of folks, I was like, I want to design rockets. I want to design cars. I want to, you know, be on the, on the cutting edge for some of these, uh, for, for some of these items. And I want to apply my engineering to that. And then I, I mean, I got involved with, uh, with, uh, with Mayas at the time there at, at San Antonio College. And I started going to conferences. Well, I started learning about all the things that an engineer can do. And I was talking with, you know, people from like Lockheed Martin and ATEC, the Army Test and Evaluation Command. I was talking to Procter and Gamble. I was talking to, you know, to, to, uh, uh, I said Lockheed already. I was talking to, and then ExxonMobil, right, was one of the people that I, that I, that I talked to. Ultimately, it wasn't so much like, hey, why did I, I knew that I could take my engineering degree and apply it to all kinds of stuff. So that was exciting for me in the base case. I felt like, hey, man, the ball's really in my court. So to me, it came down to, hey, why did I pick ExxonMobil and why did I pick working in oil and gas as I learned what they did? And as I learned the security and the longevity of that business, of course, having family in the back of my head, that was important, right? That I found a place where I wasn't going to be prone to a bunch of layoffs or I wasn't going to be prone to, you know, failing startups. Like I needed security. And so that was, uh, that was a huge part of it. And then they also, and I tell people another thing that at the recruiting table, ExxonMobil said, you know, you come in and you perform, we're a global company, you know, you can work different jobs and have different experiences and essentially have multiple careers within this same corporation. Here I am, fast forward nine years, and what was told to me at the recruiting table has been true every assignment. I mean, I'd start off as a mechanical engineer out in the field, uh, doing actual calculations and doing straight up mechanical, like solids and mechanics and material selection and doing fluids, you know, and there was just a bunch of stuff that like I would, that, that, that was a true application of my degree early on. Then I started getting into supervision and I learned how to manage people in large groups. And then I learned how to run a unit at a, at a, at a polyolefins plant in, in Baton Rouge. And then now I'm in this business role in headquarters, right? So, Every time, so it turned into uh, it, me picking it, why I picked it, and why I stayed. Had to do a lot with hey, uh, getting and seeing what was told to me at the recruiting table actually happened in reality. And so for me right now, it's more about: Do I continuously get to keep getting challenged? Do I have the? Uh, am I constantly learning something new? And are they keeping me interested? Not to mention, you know, this entire time, I'm also being encouraged and, and and empowered to get involved in minority recruiting, right? To go to SHIP and go to these conferences and have, you know, work with our internally with our ERGs, our employee resource group. So there's a whole nother part of, to this that really uh, speaks to satisfying the personal parts of me, in addition to just my job that all together make me just want to continue to stay. That was amazing from your perspective, from your story. That's all. Thank you. The following question is, uh, Manny, what special or unique skills 
might need it to obtain your job? So I was fortunate. That's a good question, right? I love the skills questions because I've done this thing where like I'll go into a room with students and I ask them flat out, all right, somebody tell me, somebody define what skills are. And people say, oh, everyone can say leadership. Everyone says, oh, you got, you know, communication skills. And I'm like, what else? And then it, it starts to get very silent. Right? People struggle with, uh, with being able to define what an actual skill is. And that was the same for me. I'm not saying I was some genius in school. No, I had the benefit of great mentors that said, uh, there, there's more to getting a job than just having the degree and just being able to uh, talk your way into situations. Because the talking and being a good communicator, uh, I guess what I would say is like being a good communicator doesn't infer that you're a good uh, leader, right? It's not one in the same. So yes, the way you talk and the way you, the, the, your, your demeanor and your confidence and presence will definitely grab attention but as people start asking questions and really trying to pull out and extract what skills you have, that's when you start to separate uh, the, the good from the great. So you asked specifically about skills. So aside from being able to be an effective communicator, and, and by that I mean being able to talk about something and, and get some, uh, some good details out of it and help the other person make a connection. So aside from being a good communicator, you, I had to, you know, demonstrate that uh, a couple of things, and these are still skills that I have to prove day in and day out, even now, nine years later. One, that I'm analytical in nature, that I can take a problem, break it down, understand what the scope of what are we trying to accomplish is before I just start doing, right? And if there's some things that that don't make sense, like having the conviction to speak up and say something, right? And I have to be able to have a method to the way I organize myself and the way I, you know, produce content to communicate, you know, what, what, I, what, the, what I'm trying to accomplish. And then being able to get an entire group to move in that direction uh, of that plan, like all that is important. So I started to bleed into the interpersonal skills, which is the dealing with people. And so interpersonal is not just like, yep, yeah, are you a team player? Can you work in a group? Are you going to play nice? Or are you going to be the troublemaker? It's not just that. Interpersonal also means that, hey, do you have an ability to work through conflict? Right? So not, not everything is going to be peaches and cream all the time. And sometimes, especially in a group setting, there's going to be some, some, uh, friction that might happen between you and a peer or you and a supervisor and understanding how you work through that uh, is important. And the, the, the one thing that doesn't work is you running away from confidence and saying, oh, I don't ever deal with it. That's a, that's a supervisor's job. I avoid it at all costs. No, that's not necessarily what's, what's valued. What's valued is a person who tries to work it out with a peer, tries to come up with some compromise and so on. And then there's the adaptability part that says, hey, are you able to, you know, pivot and make adjustments and still deliver even when things change in the middle of executing a plan? And so when I was a student, so we say, okay, so how did you demonstrate that when you were a student from college? A lot of my examples came from at the time, and this is before I got my internship with ExxonMobil. Before that, it was just all of my student leadership that I did with Mayas, and I was a national student representative. And I got to draw from my experiences of being part of the board nationally and then working with uh, in my job at break check and waiting tables. Like I was able to extract those experiences and say, hey, I'm analytical, I'm interpersonal. I have some adaptability. I can communicate. Overall, yes, I see myself being at one of your manufacturing sites or whatever. Now, again, I'll, I want to make sure that it's understood that it was the mentors that I got and conversations that I had with people that helped clear uh, this up, right? I didn't just find one one magical article or one magical person who told me all this. It was a combination of ideas and opinions. Now, it, 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 and I guess I skipped over it, but underlined in all this, technically, I still had to be a good engineer, and right? I had to prove that I knew engineering 
concepts and that I was a true mechanical engineer, well, the proof for that part of the evaluation was my GPA. And what was your GPA? So mine graduated, I graduated with a 3.6 and change. It was like uh, rounded up to a 3.7. Oh, I have a quick question for you. Sure. When you were doing your engineering, how many, well, I don't know, but I don't know if you have it documented, but how many hours per week did you usually spend? Oh man, I didn't, I'll tell you, I am, me personally, I am not that student that walks into a class, or even now, I can't, I'm not the guy that walks into a meeting and walks out of there understanding everything that was just talked about in that. I'm the kind of person that had to go into a class, you know, hear the lecture. I was blessed that some of the harder professors that I had, they would record their lectures, so they, I would later go listen to the, re, to the re-recording, I would go study, I would go to tutoring, I would go to the professor's office hours, I would then go to Google and find, and I wish I remember the name, there's a university in India that uh, records all of their lectures, and so if I was in a Thermal One lecture, I would go and watch this professor from India uh, give this right lecture on the same stuff. I mean, you figure the, the syllabus for at least in mechanical engineering, thermodynamics is thermodynamics, and they teach it, in, right? When you teach it an hour at a time or an hour and a half at a time, you can kind of follow two, two, two syllabus, two syllabi from two different professors, and you're probably going to hit the same topics at the same time. Does that make sense? So I could, mm-hmm. I could go and listen to one professor and then find the equivalent lecture of this other guy. And then once the kids went to bed, then I would stay up till, till midnight and study and then get up and redo it all over again. For me, because I knew that if I was going to change my situation, it was going to be by getting this high GPA. And, and again, that's, I, if I wanted to get into the likes of, ExxonMobil, and I knew very early on as a freshman, my journey started as a freshman when I met uh, my recruiter, like, he was like, hey, you got to have a high GPA. Cool. If that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to get, and I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to get to that state. Um, but, it, I mean, certainly it was it was a lot. I mean, my full-time job when I was in school was being a student, right? So if I wasn't hanging out with my kids and my wife, I was probably at school studying or at my house after everybody went to bed uh, studying some more. A lot is the answer, I suppose. Wow, that's inspirational. Matthew, the following question, number four, is were there any setbacks that you had to overcome to get where you are today? I did, man. So look, uh, uh, again, I've mentioned that I had family while I was in school. And so when I was a freshman and a sophomore and I was going to San Antonio College and even like I, I was a super senior, so I graduated in five years. But while I was going to school, as I got into those harder and harder classes, man, I couldn't keep my part time job and go and keep up with the with the, the study regimen that I needed to keep in order to be able to keep my high GPA. So I was blessed enough at the time my wife, she had then, uh, she was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car and she was working through a management training program. And so she got to where she was a manager or a supervisor and she was, she was making uh, good money. So the decision for us was, uh, okay, if I can get loans and grants and scholarships and whatever type of money and be able to cover daycare, and books and my own expenses. In other words, if I didn't cost, uh, you know, if, if every, if I could self, I guess self-support my schooling and daycare, then it, we could, we could have, her check could cover rent and light and bills and food and all that other stuff, right? And so that was, that was a challenge there where it was completely like, okay, um, with my wife saying, look, uh, you're going to be the sole provider. Uh, for the next couple of years um, while I finish this thing. And look, it sounds cool me saying it now, like I was all, you know, just, hey, this is the plan. It wasn't. It was literally a, a leap of faith and a mutual agreement and understanding that it was going to be worth it at the end. 
And she looked, she never complained. She stood to, stood, stood to her guns. But for me, uh, it was tough. Like it was even more pressure. Like you cannot fail. Right? You absolutely will not turn around and say, I can't, or, Hey, I guess I'm going back to teaching or whatever, or I'm going to get off of this engineering thing after I had asked and put, you know, essentially all that, uh, on that side. So that was immediately while I was going to, going to school. If I go even further a bit back, and one thing that I had to overcome, um, and I, my having family was what eventually made me overcome it. But look, I didn't have uh, my the one thing my dad always taught me was how to work. I always worked. He was a hard worker. He was one. Hey, if you work and, and put your nose to the grindstone, uh, that's how you you know things are going to turn out okay, and and that's how you're going to provide for your family, and that's the example you have to give your kids. So. What I got out of it was, hey, if I, 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 I learned very early on to work, I would work with him. And then eventually, once I was 16, I was able to work legally and started having my own job. Man, I was 16, 17. I, was, I had a couple jobs even while I was going to high school. So I always had money in my pocket. And so that what I built in my head was, uh, hey, I, this is it. Like, I don't, it wasn't like, well, I don't need to go to college. It just never came up, you know? It just was just never something that was pressing because I had money in my head. If you're a single person, a buck goes a long, much longer way than if you're married and have kids. So in my head, that was a behavior that I established very early on and that I had to try and completely change once I was 23, 24 when I made the decision to go back to school. In the meantime, it was, you know, I always worked. I was always employed. So it was how do I overcome and how do I convince myself that sacrificing for a few uh, at a longer term is going to pay off and make and having that longer term vision and that longer term mentality that was definitely something I had to overcome as an adult right uh, and I, again I'll tell you and I tell people having that kid and having uh, ha it was really my kids because even when it was, when it was my wife uh, it, it wasn't uh as much of an issue, but once there was kids involved, it was like, man, I could really screw them up, and that really helped get me motivated and get me over the hump. Uh, it's amazing how you went to school, you know, uh, while still, you know, keeping your family together and making it work. Um, that's pretty cool. A few people that do that here, uh, but always, you know, it's always admirable. It definitely took two of us to be in agreement. Otherwise, I don't know how it works. I don't. I don't know how it works if you're, you know, you have a partner and it's not. Uh, you guys aren't in some sort of mutual agreement. Uh, I feel like it's definitely a huge highlight of that is the work-life balance. And from your LinkedIn, you know, I'm seeing that you know, managing puts family man, and that's that's interesting because I don't think I see a lot of people, you know, that acknowledge that family man. You know, it's kind of like, well, what is that? You know, yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it's interesting, but knowing your story, I think it basically says it a life of a family man. I mean, that's where that balance of work and family. That's where it started, right? The motivation started with the family. So even now, you know, as my kids are in sports and doing their thing in school or whatever, I try to be uh, as present as I can. And I'm not going to lie and say it's, you know, I'm batting 100 for everything that they do. Uh, there's definitely been some hard decisions and whatnot, but for the most part, I think my, I think I'm on the, the balance leans towards where they don't feel like they're neglected and that I'm absentee dad. I joke about it sometimes. You know, when I gotta be, when I gotta miss something or probably that, that nervous way of dealing with it or whatever, but, uh, yes, it's certainly something that's still ever present. Uh, and I, and I hope that it continues to be that way. Thank you, man, for sure. Um, our last question is, what would you like to accomplish in the future? And, that, and that's a good one, man. Like, and look, every every year I have to continue to fine tune that one. And the reason I say every year is because you know we have this evaluation cycle at work, and so if I if I'm playing in that space and I'm thinking about it correctly, I'm always evaluating. Hey, am I still motivated? Do I still want to do this, or do I need to pivot? Uh, my decisions live in two in two realms, I guess, at this point. Um, the first one, and the one that's been there for a while now, was, hey, I want to climb the ladder 
as they say, right? Climb the, climb the corporate ladder, get to an executive position, Lord willing. And my reasons uh, have changed over time. My motivations have changed over time. Initially, it was like, man, look, I, I'm just curious. Uh, there was a time where if it was just me, forget about family, I was like, man, how high can I take this? Like, I can't believe that I went from, you know, all the jobs that I've had and throwing newspapers and working at a flea market, being a waiter to all of a sudden I, I have this uh, business responsibility with a huge company. And so there is a bit of personal, like selfish thought that says, man, I'm, how high can I take this? And then that started to evolve into, into really, especially the more I got involved with recruiting, with minority recruiting and started seeing what some of the challenges in the company are as we go through the evolution of, of inclusion and diversity, like, and, and once I started to become a supervisor, I saw the impact that I could have as a supervisor by simply taking a seat at some of these tables and, 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 and voicing my opinions and being there in the hiring committees and asking the tough questions around, uh, you know, seemingly people that might not fit right within a particular position. Like I saw the power of what that came with being a supervisor. And I'm never saying that I will never say that I just force somebody into a spot because you still got to have a fit and I don't want somebody to fail. But it's been nice to be at the table and, and advocate and sponsor. I say, you know, that advocate and sponsor one for recruits that are coming in, but two for people that are already in that are minority recruit, uh, recruit, uh, recruits that are trying to progress through their career, right? Where someone might have a, a, a comment or, or, or something that, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, maybe taken the wrong way about a, a minority recruits some motivations and stuff like being a supervisor i'm in those meetings talking and, and and challenging and asking the questions so all that to say like now me wanting to climb up and and be in these higher positions of influences because i want to be able to continue to improve uh, situations internally by actually being one of the decision makers right i value and highly think that someone that is on the sidelines who advocates and asks the wrong, the, the, not the wrong, the right, strong, difficult questions. And I'm talking about like in an employee forum, right? Someone might say, Hey, you know, what is, what are you doing to help increase the number of, of minorities in the executive, in the executive uh, rooms, right? Someone might ask that and really try and turn the pressure up on someone to do something about it. Well, I want to do that, but also be, the decision maker that's getting more executives into into these positions, right? So uh, sometimes I go off on a tangent, and I apologize. But really, what I was trying to communicate is saying, "Hey, I want to I want to rise through the ranks in order to be in the in a position to change some of these things uh, internally." The other part that I'll say is, "Hey, so I started this project with this podcast and." And, and doing some of these things, uh, being more active on social media here in the last few months. And where do I see this going? Ultimately, I want to help fo reach folks that are in schools, maybe that, uh, or in groups that, uh, internally within the company or even in industry or some of these big companies don't actively recruit at, right? I came from San Antonio College. I came from UTSA. We don't, ExxonMobil doesn't have a recruiting presence there, but I'm hoping through these, through these channels, maybe I can help coach people or help them learn something about what it takes to make it in this space and maybe meet some viable candidate that we can maybe work through, say, SHIP, uh, the SHIP National Convention versus us missing out because we don't go to that particular camp. Thank you, man. Thank you, man, for that. Appreciate sure. that. Thanks for the talk. So having that, having that said, uh, that basically concludes our, our five questions. Well, cool, Patrick. Look, again, I, I, I thank you for reaching out. Uh, I, I appreciate the, 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 you know, the questions and, and having this kind of platform to be able to kind of record them and ask them. Maybe somebody hears them. Uh, and gain some benefit out of it. The other part I want to make sure that people and listeners get is that, hey, how did I get to this conversation where I'm talking to Patrick? Is hey, he reached out. He's doing his homework. He's taking action on the things that he's hearing about. 
whether it's from conferences or whether it's from professors or teachers, somewhere along the line, enough of that information stuck to where Patrick took action. And that really is the difference between what I call, you know, being good and being great. Uh, so Patrick, uh, kudos to you for doing that. Thanks for taking on the last minute challenge of uh, asking some of these questions or even getting recorded. I know it can be uncomfortable. You did good. I think this will be uh, beneficial for, for you as well for, as well for me and hopefully those that listen to, uh, Patrick, if you have any other follow-ups after this, look, man, you know how to reach me. You know that it works. So just uh, send me a message and I'd be happy to continue the conversation. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Sure. I want to thank you for having listened to this podcast. Please know that this podcast is available on your favorite platform, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor, among others. Uh, please do me a favor and share the podcast if you found the information useful and there's somebody that you think that can benefit from it. Uh, also, reviews and comments are great. This is a social media platform, right? So the only way things kind of move in social media is through likes and through shares and through organic growth uh, within the uh, respective platform. I could, of course, sit there and uh, pay some money, I suppose, but that's not what I'm trying to do here. Uh, this is really done out of the uh, 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 my desire to share the information and not to make uh, money. So um, I don't have right the ad revenue being generated or whatnot. So that's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. It's really about helping you uh, learn from the mistakes of others, learn from the experiences, learn from different examples, and quite frankly, to share so that you yourself can be in a better position to accomplish things uh, than I was. Again, thanks for listening. <laughs>